Good morning. I'm Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. I got to brag of uh, the girl singing right there. That's my girl. And uh, yeah, she's, she's awesome. Said it in the first service. Sorry to the rest of the band. I can't talk about you like that, but uh, they, they're awesome too. But um, she's been making beautiful music since she was a little girl. So um, yeah, love her to death. Uh, well, we're in a series, and we're learning together how to do everything that Jesus said that we could do. Uh, now, if you're a guest with us, we've been working our way in 2016 all the way through the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew's the first gospel in the New Testament, first story of the life of Jesus. And we've been looking at it, saying, uh, what if we were able to do everything that Jesus said that we can do? And so for the last several weeks, we've been having our minds and hearts and uh, capacities stretched as we've realized, okay, that also includes some supernatural things. Now, we've, we've said, we're not trying to be weird. Uh, I've, we had Paul McConaughey here last week. If you weren't here, you can watch it online from England. And man, wasn't he great? It's fantastic. I am still, uh, I mean, it just it helped me so much last week. I'm still churning on what I learned um, from him being here. He's a friend of mine. Um, but we're, we're saying that you don't have to be weird. Paul said it to you last week. You don't have to be weird. I mean, what God does is often weird enough without us adding our own weirdness to it, right? So we want to learn how to be naturally supernatural because the ministry of Jesus also includes healing and includes driving out evil. And so we want to participate in that because we believe that if that was the ministry of Jesus and it's all the way through the Gospels, take that out. You almost have nothing that's there in the Gospels in the ministry of Jesus. So we've been, we've, been, we've been pressing into that and trying to figure out how we might be a part of doing that same thing. And so we're going we're gonna to continue this series for another week or so. Uh, but today, what I want to do is talk to you about one of the ways that how you are thinking about your life might be aiding the enemy in taking your life from you. Now I'm going to ask you to kind of step back for a second, if you could, and, and remove yourself uh, from judging your life or saying, well, this is going to be uncomfortable. I just, I just want you to step back as almost like an observer on your own life and your own thought processes and your own way of going through the world and say, huh, maybe this is what's keeping me trapped uh, and participating in things that God says I don't have to participate in. And, and I, I want you this morning to learn how to take back your life. Anybody want to do that? Now, yeah. Now, here's what I know. Here's what I know about life. Uh, many of you, many of us, feel like a life has been taken from us. You, you know how you meet people, and, and they're givers or they're takers? And you meet someone who's a giver, and you go, man, that's a giver. And you meet other people, and you go, oh, that's a taker. I don't want to be around that person. M- many of us experience life in the taker category. Life takes things from us. It often doesn't give things to us. And so we feel overwhelmed by life, and we don't know what to do. So maybe we have a job, and then we get laid off out of the blue. Or we thought we were doing a great job, and then our boss brings us in and says, hey, sorry, we're going to have to let you go. You're just not meeting, you're not meeting the standards. And everything's taken from us in that moment. Or maybe we have a health thing that happens, and we get sick out of the blue, and it interrupts everything, interrupts where we were going, it interrupts what we were doing, it takes all of our money, and we don't know what to do. We feel stuck. We feel like life's been taken from us, quite literally. Or we have a relationship with someone, and that relationship does not work. And it feels like it's taken from us. A parent, our child feels like can they, they were taken from us. Or our spouse or someone we love, we feel like it's taken from us. And we don't know what to do in those moments. Now, now the message of Jesus is the key to taking back your life. Because the message of Jesus is about how God came to bring us life. And how to access the life um, that God has for us. Now, here's what I know, though, about a lot of Christians. 
they are living far below what they have been given. It's kind of like a child who's been given a multi-million dollar inheritance and they're still living on food stamps. And I find a lot of Christians live that way. They live way beneath what they've been given. And so I want to talk to you this morning about how you can live into everything that God's given to you. Now, this is in large part why Jesus healed people, because he knew that people uh, had things taken from them by life. And, and he wanted to, he, he, he's there as God to bring complete life to us. Now, many of us, we don't believe that God wants to bring complete life to us. We believe that God is about rules or we believe that God is about punishment. One of my friends says it this way, that Jesus came to cure God of a bad reputation. That God's not like that. God's not like that at all. That God wants you to experience life completely. And um, that when we want to know what God's like, we look at Jesus. And here's what Jesus is like. Jesus wants so badly for you to have a complete life that he's willing to die in order for you to have that. Now, this is why Jesus' ministry was about healing, to bring full life to you. In fact, the word for salvation, if you were here a few weeks ago, told you about this, is the Greek word sozo. The New Testament was written in Greek. Can you say that word? Sozo. Sozo, uh, it means uh, healing, means full healing. Salvation means full healing. So we know that God heals us spiritually and he saves us. So he forgives us for our past. He begins to heal the emotional hurts that have driven us for a long time and changes who we are and makes us into a different person. But that God also wants to extend that healing into our bodies and make us well because in heaven, no one's sick, no one gets cancer. God wants to bring that into our life. God, God came to bring you the fullest possible life and set you free from any powers that take your life. Now, uh, before we, we look at this story, I'm going to take a little detour, and you'll see why, I think, in a minute, why we're going to take this detour, because these are the areas I'm going to talk to you about just real briefly here, are the places that our life is often taken from us, and often the places the way we think about our life uh, traps us. And so I want to I tell you uh, three things that are non-negotiables for a follower of Jesus. Um, I'm going to tell you what these three, three things are, because this is often where life is taken from us. Here's the first one that is a non-negotiable for a follower of Jesus, that you would love God first and most. Here's how Jesus said it when a a, a religious person came to him and said uh, in Matthew chapter 22, we'll put it on the screen, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Referencing the Old Testament. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, what's Jesus saying when he says you're to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind? He's he's saying that we're to love God with everything that we have, with our entire person. Often what happens is people will love God, and the human race is guilty of this, of loving God with a part of ourselves and holding other parts of ourselves back. It'd be like uh, you marrying someone and saying to them, hey, I love you. I'm going to love you with the way that I think about you. I'm going to think great thoughts about you. I'm not going to spend any time with you. I'm not going to let you share my bank account. But I'm going to think great thoughts about you, and I love you with my thoughts. Right? It wouldn't work, would it? Or I'm going to love you with my emotion. I'm going to feel wonderful things toward you and about you, but I'm not going to be around you. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm just going to feel things about you. Uh, in, many, in many ways, we do the same thing with God. You know, we say, well, God, I'm going to love you with my thoughts. And so we, we, get in, we get into theology and we get into ideas and we get into doctrine. And, and that's very good, but oftentimes we forget to love God with the rest of us. Or we love God with our emotions and we sing songs and we feel wonderful and we feel close to God. And that's all very good, but then we forget to love God with other parts of us, with our, with our energy and with our time and with our money. Or we love God and we say, well, I'm, you know, I feel like I'm being spiritual. And so we're all about the, the, our belief system, our spiritual practices. But that's, Jesus says that we're to love God 
with our whole person. In fact, he says it's the greatest commandment. What he means by that, it's the greatest thing that you can do in life is to love God. I don't know if you believe that. Uh, what often happens is that we love other things, and our, our, love, our life is often and usually determined by the things that we love. So let's just say that you love money, and you're, if you love money, uh, your life is going to be about the pursuit of getting money. You're going to organize everything in your life around that pursuit. Or if you love a person and you want to have a relationship with the person, you're going to organize everything in your life around having a relationship with that person. Or if you love your job, you're going to organize everything in your life around the fact that you love, uh, you love your job and you want to be a success at your job. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says the greatest love that you could have in your life is God. Now, uh, that, that has to be turned into something practical that we can do because that sounds like a great idea, and it is. But it has to be turned into something that we actually do. Let me tell you um, how I do this. I, I'm not making myself the supreme example. I just want to give you an example, all right, because I'm, I'm learning with you. Um, here's what I do. I do two things that help nurture the love of God so that I, that I can love God first and most in my life. I, I do two things on a regular basis. There are other things that I do, but these things I repeat over and over again because like an athlete does the same things over and over again to be in good shape, you've got to do the same things over and over again to have a close relationship with anyone, including God. So here's, here's the two things that, that I do. One is that I come to a worship service like this virtually every week. Even when my family's on vacation, we go to a worship service like this. The second is that I read scripture, I, I meditate on it, I think about it, uh, and I pray, and I have a relationship with God through prayer. Now, uh, let, me just, let me just briefly just explain what I mean by both of those things so you uh, don't miss what I'm trying to say. Uh, when, when I come to a, an environment like this, uh, what it does for me is it recenters me on God's love for me and God's priorities for me. Because I, I don't know about you, I get spiritual amnesia. You know, I go through the week and life happens, and I just kind of forget. I get pushed around, and then I come back into this room, and I sing songs, and, and I know I'm, I'm usually the one teaching, but I, I get a lot out of this when I'm preparing, right? And, and I, it recenters me on the things that are important. Now, listen, some of you, um, you grew up uh, in a different area, and you grew up in the time when it was just normal that everyone would go to church. That's what you would do. And our culture's not like that anymore. But it used to be that you would just always go to church. And, and the thing that got taught often was that if you would just come into the church building and show up in a service, then everything would be okay between you and God. Now, you will not, let me just dispel a, a myth that you may have been under. You will not become a better Christian, or you will not become a Christian by showing up in a church building, even every week. Any more than if you go to McDonald's, you will turn into a chicken McNugget, right? It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen at all. In fact, some of you, you're raising your kids and you're giving them, you, you know, right, when you raise your kids, you're giving them values by what you do, what you do with your time. They're watching that, whether you say it or not. And when you show up in a place like this, um, what you're doing is not so much saying, listen, this is going to make you a Christian. This is going to make you a follower of Jesus. You're instead letting them see what's important to you. You're letting them see that God is important to you, that the love of God is important to you. This is not the whole deal of following Jesus, but it's a part, right? This is a place that you can be reoriented. It's a time, a space in your week when you can be reoriented around the things of God. And that, for me, is one of the ways that I love God. Now, one of the other ways that I love God is that I, uh, I read scripture, I meditate, and then I pray. Now, let me just unpack that a little bit for you. Meditate, the word meditate is literally from a Latin word for the horse chewing the cud. 
Have you ever watched the, a horse or a, a cow chew the cud? They just chew it and chew it and chew it and chew it and chew it until they fully digest it. Well, it's the same thing when you take the scriptures and you read them, and you read them in a meditative kind of way. You chew on it, and you go, well, what does this mean? Is this, God, is this something for me? Is there something I need to apply to my life? And I promise if you do this, you will love the scriptures more and more and more and more. They'll get deeper, and it's like a well that just goes deeper and deeper. And then I pray. I just, have a, I just talk to God about what's happening and what I'm frustrated with, and I talk about my emotions, and I talk about what I feel. And, and usually, okay, I'm not going to tell you every time, I have what I would just only call a kind of a profound encounter with God. Now, I, I, want you to, I want this to be accessible to you. I'm not, please don't, sometimes people think that if you're a pastor, you have some spiritual mojo that other people don't have. No, that's not the case. Pastors are just human beings like you. And uh, it's possible for you to have the same thing. But when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm having that time with God, it's like when you're with your closest friend and they get you and they understand you and they know exactly what to say to you. They're not afraid to say it with emotion. They're not afraid to tell you the truth. And you just have this, this relational connection that just gets deeper and deeper when you're with your closest friend. This is what you're intended to have. This is how you nurture a relationship with God. Now, this, is a daily, this is a daily thing for me. Now, I'm not, I'm not, now please, hear me. I, I'm not telling you that every time I pray and read scripture, it's just like the heavens open and there's angels. You know, it's not like, some days I just read, I pray and I read and it's like, okay, all right. But it helps me to actually love God actually love God first and most because then it orders the rest of my day and and if I love God with just a part of me see that's half-hearted love which is not really love at all right it's using somebody when you love someone half-hearted you're using them for how they make you feel so without the love of God what happens is you live a small life now the other uh, another non-negotiable for a follower of Jesus is that you would um, you would learn to love people like you love yourself here's how Jesus said it um, in Matthew 22. The second command is like it. He's having this same conversation with this gentleman. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, that is everything in the Old Testament, hang on these two commandments. Here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, you're going to have a vertical relationship with God where you love God first and most. But then that has to translate into how you interact and treat other people around you. Now, the reality is, is, is what you're doing when you love other people is you're recognizing that there are actually other people in the world and they matter as much as you do. Because we all believe, in, when we're honest, in our honest moments, we all believe life is a movie and we're the main character and everyone's playing a bit part in our movie, right? <laughs> I've heard one person say it like this. We all listen to the same radio station, W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me, Right? And, and what love, when you love God, and then you say, I'm also going to learn to love my neighbor, is you're recognizing, okay, I get that I'm, I'm often in this just for me, but I'm going to choose to learn to meet other people's needs too. That, I mean, this is a non-negotiable for a follower of Jesus. It's, and, and frankly, it's often easier to love God, because people can be really annoying, right? I mean, people, wouldn't life be great if you didn't have people in it? I mean, right? Right? Wouldn't it be easier to be a parent if the, there were non-existent children that you just talked about how much you love them? I mean, it's, <laughs> right? I love my kids. I don't have to deal with their attitude, right? <laughs> so here's, here's how I practically, here's how I, I work to do this. I, I don't always do a great job at this, but here's how I'm learning to do this and working to do this. One is that I go out to meals with people. If I ever go out to meal with you, the reason I want to go out to meal with you is I just, I want to, I want to love you. And so when I go out to a meal, I just ask questions. Now, what's going on in your life? And how are you doing with this and tell me about that I, I do my best to make it about them and not about me that's just a simple way for me to do that 
that might not work for you, but something like that. The second is that I work really hard to actually listen to people. Do you know how it is when someone listens to you and you know they've heard what you said? And then then I've just heard the words you've said, but they've heard the emotion, and you know that they're so dialed in. They're not waiting to share what they think or what they know, but they're listening to you. I mean, don't you feel, I mean, that's almost like being listened to is so close to love that you almost can't even tell the difference. And so I I work to listen. Sometimes I don't do a good job of that. Because what we tend to do is we want to, we're thinking about what we're going to say next or we're not really dialed into the other person. But this is, this is a non-negotiable for Jesus that we learn to actually love other people. Because what happens without learning to love other people, we live a lonely life. Now, the third non-negotiable for a follower of Jesus is that you would uh, serve the people around you. Here's how Jesus said it. The greatest among you will be, lo- be your servant. Here, here's what greatness is to God. Greatness to God is to serve people. That's, that's how God measures greatness. He doesn't measure greatness by your job title, how much money you make, the kind of house that you live in, the kind of car that you drive, how much power you have. He doesn't measure it by any of those things. God measures greatness by how much you serve people. That's God's measure for greatness. And the reality is you serve people just by meeting their needs. Maybe you didn't know this. As a Christian, you're a minister. What do you mean? Well, a minister, ministry, boil it down for you. It's not complex. Ministry is simply meeting people's needs. And every Christian is called, by virtue of following Jesus, to meet people's needs. So how is your ministry? Now, l- let me make that really practical, because that sometimes is like, oh, how, do, how do I do that? How do I serve people? Um, take what you, you just do every day and make it about other people. I'll give you an example. I, um, a number of years ago, someone challenged me to run a marathon. And I said, okay, I'll do it. So I ran a marathon. Uh, I ran it for myself. It was all about me. It was, uh, it was fine. I mean, I got in better shape, and that was all good. Nothing wrong with that. But I realized, okay, I could, do, I could do something about this, and maybe I could make this about other people. I wasn't quite sure how I would do that. About that time, World Vision started an organization called Team World Vision, and Team World Vision happened. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to run another marathon, and I'm going to use it to raise money for what they're doing and give clean water to kids in developing countries that don't have it. So I did that. Now, as a result of that, there will be, in a couple Sundays, there'll be a bunch of people from real life and other places around the country that will show up at the Chicago Marathon, and they'll have been raising thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for kids in developing countries so that they can have clean water and not die of diarrhea. Now, what, 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 what happened? I'm not, I'm not trying to say, hey, check that out. I, I'm just simply saying, I, I'm actually have a unique thing that I can say, okay, well, as a whole organization, we all want to do this. You might not have that ability to do that. But what you can do is you can just take the things that you do and make them about other people to serve other people and make their lives better. And it can be very simple. It can just be that you open a door for someone or you say to someone, have a great day. Hey, how are you doing today? Have a great day. I tell my kids uh, on the way to school in the morning, I say the same thing every morning. I give them, I give them a blessing because as a dad, uh, when your kids are in the morning or your mom in the morning, Give your kids as many positive things as you can because they're going to face all kinds of negativity at school. Just to throw as much positive into them as you can as they walk out the door. So I try to do that. And on the way, I say, I always say the same thing. I say, I want you to be a leader today. What does that mean? And we've ta- I've taught them this, and they say, all right, Dad. It means to be a role model and to help someone and to add value to someone's day. You know, they say this. Kind of, but that's like, I, that's like it, right? And then I ask them at the dinner table when we sit down for dinner, I go, what did, how did you help somebody today? Oh, well, I held the door open for someone, or I helped her. She dropped her books, and I picked them up off the floor. Or I. That's it. It's not complicated. 
It's not this big, huge. It's just meeting someone's needs in a really simple, practical way. And without serving, you live a self-centered life. See, these are non-negotiables for a follower of Jesus. Now, now you need to understand something. Uh, the message of Jesus uh, is this, that, that anything that we do is always a response to God's love for us. We, as, a, as a follower of Jesus, you're never doing anything as an attempt to earn God's love. It's always in response to God's love. So I find out that God loves me. Guess what? I want to love him back. And then I want to figure out how to love the people that he made. And then I want to figure out how to serve because it's a response. Now, here's this story, right? Matthew chapter 9, this supernatural thing that we're learning about. I'm going to tie these two things together for you here in a second. What's happening in this story is there's this demon-possessed man or a demon-oppressed or a demon-ridden man. And he's, as a result, he can't talk. And Jesus drives the demon out and he sends the demon away and the man can talk. And this, the crowd has a reaction, and then the religious leaders have a reaction. Now, you may, we, we, if you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about demons, and we talked about being demon-oppressed. It might not be the best word, demon-possessed. It just means that someone, that a demon is riding somebody. Like, and you use that, an example of a, a jockey and a horse, and how the, the devil's like that jockey that whips the horse and just beats you and makes you go faster and harder and tells you you're not doing it well enough and accuses you and condemns you. And that what God does in our lives is he throws the jockey off of the horse so that we're not driven anymore like that. And for us as Christians, that explains an awful lot in life when we go, oh, someone was, well, someone was riding that person. I mean, just beating them. And they need to be free. And Jesus came to set people free. And he has the, the, the rider thrown off. And then there are these, in this story, these two reactions to this. One is the crowd is amazed. Like, that's unbelievable that God would do that in someone's life and set them free like that. That's unbelievable. And then the other reaction is the religious people. Get this. The, this is where you get trapped, okay? The religious people, the religious leaders, they essentially say, ah, he's cheating. It's not real. Now, here's, 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 what, here's what's happening. There are people who are ready to receive what God can do, and then there are the religious people who make excuses about what God just did. Now, what's the difference? Here's, and here's where, here's where you're, you can not be trapped by your life. You can take your life back. The difference between the crowd who is amazed, which is the response God's looking for, and the Pharisees who say, ah, he's cheating, is in the way that they thought. Um, here, here's what, so the same scenario, the same act of God happens, and people respond in two totally different ways. Do you know that you, God can do an amazing thing right in front of a miracle, supernatural thing right in front of you, and it cannot affect you at all. Not have anything to not, not in any way affect you at all. And and here's what the barrier is. The barrier is in your cranial area, right? It's like between your two ears. How you're thinking about it, the, the thoughts that you think, the patterns of thinking and thought are the things that keep you from accessing what God has for you, the supernatural that God has for you. I'll, I'll give you an example of this because it could be that uh, your life is being taken from you right under your nose and it's because of the way that you're thinking about your life i'll have a couple that'll come to me and their marriage is in distress and um i want to help i always know that in, in any relationship it takes two to tango so it's never just one person's fault there's always a, a, a system at work but very often, it'll be one person who has entrenched themselves in their thinking about the other person or themselves. And when, when we try and talk about that, what happens, it's, it's almost like they're in a fortified city 
with guards on the walls. And when you try and say, hey, it might be this thing that you're thinking about over here, the guards shoot at you and try and take you out. And, and I go, okay, how can I help this person? And sometimes they're beyond my help because they are trapped in their way of thinking about themselves or their spouse. Now, can you start to begin to see what I'm trying to say here? Is it can be in the way that you think that keeps you trapped. Now, this is, this is actually what the Apostle Paul said will happen. Uh, he wrote a letter to the Christians in Corinth. We'll put this on the screen for you, and this is what he said. He said, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. going to talk about that in a second. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So he uses this metaphor of a stronghold uh, for the ways that we think that take life from us. Now, here's what Paul's not saying in this, because you could read this and you could say, oh, Paul's saying that as Christians, uh, we're to tell other people who are not Christians that they're wrong, or we're to argue with them and tell them they're wrong. That's not what Paul's saying. You could read this and you could think Paul's saying, well, then I need to go on Facebook and I need to post about who you ought to vote for and how you ought to think and what you ought to do about the issues of the day. That's not what Paul's saying either. What Paul is saying is that there are ways of thinking that take life from us and we're to find that, he calls them strongholds, and we're to demolish them. We're to knock down the walls of the fortified city that we've built in our own mind and brain and we're to demolish them so that we can have everything God wants us to have. And so he uses this metaphor of a, of a walled city, a stronghold. Because he's, he's thinking back to the Old Testament, and the cities of the day would have been surrounded by a wall. One of the most famous cities is the city of Jericho. Jericho is about, uh, modern-day Jericho is about 15 miles from Jerusalem. It's in Palestine. The picture there is of modern-day Jericho, and that's a, an artist's rendering of what the city of Jericho in ancient days would have looked like. That's actually the archaeological site where they've done digs on ancient Jericho. And, and here's a, another picture of what those walled, uh, walled, walled cities would have looked like with the guards on top. And, and Jericho was a beautiful city. It was, a, it, was a, um, it was full of palm trees. It was a resort town. Uh, it was a place that people would go to vacation. It was like California. I looked it up. It was 70 degrees. It's 70 degrees in uh, Jericho today. And uh, it's usually 70 or so degrees all year round. It's kind of it's like, like California in its, in its climate and its feel, if you've ever been to California. I, about 10 years ago, I, I had an offer, I was made an offer to uh, be on staff at a church on the central coast of California, literally on the beach. And I'm not going to lie, in the middle of our beautiful winters, I think about California, and I think, I could be in California today. Huh, what am I doing? But it's like that, right? It's this comfortable place that you don't want to leave, and you've made a kind of comfortable spot for yourself. This is kind of the point that Paul's trying to say, is you can get into these ways of thinking that are comfortable to you, and you would never want to break out of them, and you don't even want to see that they're bad for you, because I'm comfortable, I'm good, I'm great right here. If you read the story of what happened to the, the walls of Jericho in Joshua uh, chapter 6, in the very first verse, there's something that, that isn't meant as a metaphor, but I'm going to use it as an illustration for you. It says this, and now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. They were having, waging a military campaign against Jericho. No one went out and no one came in. This is what a, strong, a mental stronghold is. This is how the devil uses it. Nothing goes out and nothing comes in. Ain't nobody getting inside this. Ain't nobody touching me. And so what Paul says is you don't reason with a stronghold. You wage war against it because it's the thing that's designed to keep you trapped and away from God. You know how the people of Israel got rid of the walls? It's a crazy story, jo uh, Joshua chapter 6. 
The people of Israel got together, um, they marched, they had all the, the priests out front, all the people of Israel marched around the city of Jericho seven times. I think in those seven times what they were doing is they were looking at the walls and they were going, I see that wall, I see a weakness in that wall. That wall can come down because the first time they walked up to that plain and saw this fortified city, they thought, there's no way I could ever take that down. But they walk around the city and they go, I, could, I see that. Oh, and the, the second time, oh, there's another spot. The third time, oh, there's another spot. The fourth time, look at that. Fifth time, sixth time, seventh. This, we can take the walls of this down. We don't have to have this trap us anymore from the things God wants to give us. This could be you. Like, do you understand that? I mean, but you have to see that the walls are there. And if you don't see that the walls are there, they will never come down. Now, let me, uh, let me, just, let me give you what I, what I find are some strongholds, some ways of thinking about these non-negotiables. Because, see, this is, this is where the enemy gets us, is in the very things that Jesus says are non-negotiables for us. So you might hear about, okay, well, I want to have love God first and most in my life, but a stronghold for you might be, you know, my life is fine without God. I don't need anything bigger than me. That's a stronghold. Or you might say, well, I don't need to change how I think about God. What I'm doing is just fine. It's got me this far. That's a stronghold. Or you might say, I can't understand the Bible, so why try? Stronghold. Uh, and you could, might say, well, I, you know, I'm, I, I, I'd like to be spiritual when I go to church, but I don't want to be too religious. I mean, you don't want to get crazy. That's a stronghold. Or you might say, I don't need to worship with other Christians. I can find God in nature. You can absolutely find God in nature. No doubt about that. But that's a stronghold. I'm on my own island. This is my own journey. I don't need other people. Stronghold. Or you might have strongholds about, how, about other people, uh, ways of thinking about other people and how you could get close to them. And you may, the stronghold for you might be, I can't trust other people. Or the stronghold might be, I won't let anyone close to me because what happens is people only hurt me stronghold or you might have you might have strongholds about serving other people and making your life about other people and they might be things like you know i have enough problems on my own why in the world would i help anyone else stronghold or i'm too busy to help people there's just not any space in my life to help people stronghold or you might have this as a stronghold people will take advantage of you if you try to help them Now, the supernatural power of God is available to break down the walls of your stronghold, but you have to see that they're walls. And you might need to circle the city a few times before you see the weaknesses in the wall, and you might even need to circle the city a few times to even see that there's a wall there. So what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to spend just a few minutes praying. We, the last few weeks, we've had a specific prayer time at the end of every service. We're going to do that again. Our prayer team's going to come up front. Tim's going to come and play. And while he does, what I want you to do is I want you to walk around the walls of your city and I want you to see if there are strongholds. If there are ways of thinking that have trapped you and kept you and it's that the enemy has used them and you have believed that they're true and you feel safe and you feel secure. But listen to me, the life that God has for you is outside of the walls, not inside of the walls. And you will have to say, God, you can tear down the walls. And this morning, it might be the first brick. This, this morning, it might be the push with the wall coming over. I don't know. While Tim prays, I, I, want you to, I want you to sit in your seat. I want you to think. I want you to say, okay, God, I'm walking around the walls of my city. Are there I'm walking around the walls of my life. Are there places around my life that I've 
I've erected walls that keep you out, keep other people out, keep me from being about the things you care about. Our prayer team is going to be down front. If during that time you want to come and have someone pray with you uh, about the strongholds in your life, they would love to pray with you. Ask that God would supernatural power be available to tear those strongholds down so that the walls could fall. I just want you to walk out of here free. Let me pray and then I'm going to invite you to respond. Again, God, there are people in this room that um, life has robbed them. Uh, they've had things taken from them and they're so hurt. Uh, they've retreated inside of protective walls. And so instead of having everything that you say that they can have, they've got this kind of pared down, shriveled version of the life that you mean for them to have. And so God, I pray today you'd break down the walls. You'd break down the walls of our strongholds. You'd give us the courage to see uh, how we've participated with the enemy against our own life. And we'd let you to begin, maybe today, just take out the first brick. Maybe today, knock down the wall. So God, give us the courage to look inside and allow you to knock down the wall. We ask this in your name. We're going to spend just a few minutes now responding. If you'd like to pray with someone, go ahead.